ಸಹನಾವತ ಸಹನೋ ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ Krishna is praising a karma yogi emphasizing the importance and the need of karma yoga in one's life if one wants to make spiritual progress what is meant by spiritual progress is coming closer to our own self coming closer to what it is that you are seeking spiritual progress is not something irrelevant in our life is not an option actually it is an absolute necessity in as much as each one of us wants to be happy in as much as we want to be free as i said yesterday this is a desire that everyone is born with I have not willed that desire, but I find having a desire just to be happy because I cannot accept unhappiness. I want to be free because I cannot accept bondage or dependence or helplessness. I cannot. I should not and I cannot also. And as we say yesterday, that that happiness or freedom in fact is my own nature. it cannot be found anywhere else because it is not anywhere else 
whatever there is in this universe other than myself is bound, is limited. And what is limited can never be a means of happiness. Chandogya Upanishad very clearly says, Yovaibhuma tat sukham nalpe sukhamaste. At that which is human, that is abundant or limitless, that alone is sukham, that alone is happiness. Only limitless can be happy. Nalpe sukhamaste, there cannot be sukham or happiness in anything that is limited. That's a big statement, understand this. Chandogya Upanishad says, only that which is limitless alone can be happiness, that alone happiness can be. There cannot be happiness in anything that is limited. And whatever there is in this creation is all limited. Whereas I am I'm searching for the limitless, that also is a fact, because I am searching for happiness. If as Chandogya Upanishad says, happiness means limitlessness, that's what Sanyoga says. In anything limited, there cannot be happiness, even though it appears to be there, it's just an appearance. If a limited thing seems to give me happiness, understand that it is merely an appearance and not a reality. It is, that's what we call Maya. What is meant by Maya is that it, it creates an appearance of what is not there. Thus this Maya creates an appearance of happiness where in fact it is not, which is in the objects and achievements of the world, because everything is limited, including heavens also is limited. The very highest heaven, understand not one but there are many heavens, you know, according to the Vedic culture. There are, there are seven heavens at least. Bhuhu, Bhuvaha, Suvaha, Mahaha, Janaha, Tapaha, Satyam, Satyaloka, Brahmaloka is the highest heaven. Which one can achieve as a result of tremendous amount of merit that one has earned. Lord Krishna says even that also is limited because that also is, even though it is a very long lasting thing, as compared to the human life, it's, it's extremely long-lasting. But then, that also comes to an end someday. When this cycle of creation comes to an end, even that Brahmaloka, the highest heaven, also comes to an end. In which case, we will have to start again. <clears throat> Meaning that this struggle of becoming happy or free, does not end by going to some place such as heavens, by acquiring something such as wealth or whatever, by becoming something such as a king or a sovereign. <coughs> because you have become the sovereign of the whole universe, which for which also the Veda Upanishads and Upasanas understand. Upanishads, in fact, prescribe certain kinds of meditations, meaning the worships, mental worship, by which one can even become the sovereign of the whole universe. You can become Hirindigarva. Apnoti Swarajyam, Apnoti Manasaspadim, says Taitriya Upanishad. That by performing that upasana or meditation, one can become a sovereign. <coughs> But even that also is not limitless. 
the highest achievement, which is beyond our imagination, achievement that the Upanishad talks about of becoming a Swarad or a sovereign, is much greater than anything talked about anywhere else. But then even that also is not limitless. Even that achievement also will leave some amount of lack or want in me. And therefore, my real desire of becoming forever free from lack or want, as Arjuna said, Yashreyasya nishchitam bruhitanme. O Lord, please tell me that which is nishchitam shreya, which is determinately shreyas or the good, meaning which has no lack. I want that kind of goodness which has no lack, which never goes away, which is permanent. And the thing is, that which is permanent, a permanent thing can never be created. Whatever is created cannot be permanent, understand? Because whatever is created will perish. Whatever is achieved also cannot be permanent because what is achieved will go away someday. Whatever you become also cannot be permanent because when you become something, someday you will not be that also. So permanent or eternal has to be right now. It has to be there. It cannot be created. It cannot be reached. It cannot be, it cannot become. You cannot become that. You cannot reach that. You cannot create that. It has to be there. Meaning you have to be there. And so Upanishad says, you are that. And then was give up all this struggle of achieving that limitlessness or achieving happiness. Of going someplace so that you'll be happy. And it's a good promise. This promise of heavens of paradise is, is very tempting. Because people are fed up with this world, most people. They have enough of this, Swami. I had enough of this. And then people are ready to get away from here in a promised land. So it's very tempting. That's why, uh, you know, people got easily converted because this was a great uh, promise that Christianity gave to people. That this world, whatever it is, but understand that there is heaven, there is paradise, where there will be no, hap- no sorrow, nothing. And the Vedas also talk about Swarga heavens that way. That is why in the Vedic times there was a tremendous attraction for heavens. Because people are tired of this, fed up, or they know what this. I know Swamiji. Vedanta says no, going away from one place, going to another place, it's all the same. They say the crows are black even in Japan, you know. (laughs) I mean crows are black everywhere, wherever they are. Just as what you achieve here in this world as a result of your effort or your your effort is going to perish someday and so also what you achieve in the other world as a result of punya or virtue will also come to an end someday. If this becomes clear to us, 
if this becomes our ascertained, uh, ascertained knowledge, and for that to happen, we should think, uh, we should dwell upon this as long as necessary. The Vedantic teaching will become effective upon us only when this principle is very clear. The number one, that I want to be happy. Number two, happiness can only be limitlessness and can never be in anything limited, even though it may appear to be so. Number three, limitlessness or permanent or eternal, I cannot reach because whatever I reach is going to be impermanent. I cannot become because what I become also is going to be limited. I cannot produce because what is produced is going to be perishable. And therefore, it is already an accomplished fact that I am that. Whatever notions I am entertaining about myself are all false. That I look upon myself as a limited being is not the right, is not the right perception of myself. And, of course, right now this is sort of a promise or a potential that I am limitless. It is not yet a reality for me, I can understand that. But even if intellectually I am quite convinced, convinced about it, and that becomes my determination, and the first and only priority that achieving limitlessness is becoming limitlessness is bringing to manifestation the limitlessness. So all I have to do is to unfold the limitlessness which is my nature. Unfold what is there. We just fold it up like a sari. Just unfold it. Which is already there like the sun hiding behind the clouds. Just remove the clouds. Meaning that in my life there is nothing to be achieved, there is something to be manifested, something to be discovered. Lord Krishna says, Vyavasayatmika buddhihi ekeha kurudandana. Here you know, this Vyavasayatmika buddhihi, this ascertained knowledge, this conviction arising from an understanding. This, so if this becomes a motivating force, imagine this. There is this so there is this motivation which is a very important thing in management in our life also. If person is self motivated, then you have done what you then management has done what needs to be done. If the manager or the leader can create self motivation in the employee then you need not do anything further. It's all self-actualizing. He himself will do what is necessary. Otherwise you keep on, you keep on applying pressure, do this and do that. It's very stressful. So motivation. To create motivation and employ is a very big thing. Often it is created by giving them incentive. If you do this, then he'll give you this. And if you do more, you'll get more. So incent, giving them incentive is one of the ways of creating motivation. Incentive can be in terms of money, in terms of promotion, in terms of stock, whatever it is. 
incentive in terms of power, you know, visibility, recognition. For all material, material achievements. They say that all the incentives ultimately prove to be only limited. In the beginning, these things motivate a person. Later on, when he achieves some of these things, then he, uh, you know, he finds this is okay, it's enough. He needs something else. So they say that the job satisfaction is the, is the highest incentive. If you can create job satisfaction in the person, that he can have satisfaction with what he or she is doing. So, how can, a, how can job satisfaction be created? How can satisfaction be created? Satisfaction can be created only when I am satisfied with myself. Even job also becomes an occasion to create satisfaction with myself. So whether it is job satisfaction, it is life, any satisfaction is always with myself. If job, meaning the work that I'm doing, can become an occasion for creating satisfaction in me, then I will call it job satisfaction. It's actually satisfaction in myself. But we call it job satisfaction when job becomes an occasion to create the satisfaction with me. So we say yesterday, what can create satisfaction with me? What will create satisfaction? Only when I act in a manner which is in harmony with my own nature. Whenever I act contrary to my nature, it will create dissatisfaction regardless of what the outcome is of so doing. If by acting contrary to my nature, even if I, I stand to gain a million dollars, let us say, or stand to gain some promotion by acting in, in a manner contrary to my nature. In the long run, it will only create dissatisfaction with me. In the short run, it may create satisfaction. It may create immediate gratification. But then, immediate gratification in that manner is sure to create a long-term pain. <coughs> People don't understand this. Short-term gain, long-term pain. Short-term pain, long-term gain. If people are willing to live with a short-term pain, which will surely come whenever I act in harmony with my nature, when I act in harmony with the order of the law, then it is going to involve some pain because I have to overcome my temptations, I have to overcome my impulses, I have to overcome my likes and dislikes. Without that, it is not even possible to obey the law. When it says the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, I have to subdue my impulse of going at 80 miles an hour, which is very exciting. So if there's nobody in the road, why do you worry? And so the roads are all empty and all inviting you, 75, 80, 85, 90, very exciting. 
but even a motorbike or you know, the convertible or something like that. So it does give some excitement, it gives some immediate gratification, except that the patrolman is waiting, somewhere hiding. Even though you have a, a, a radar to, to you know, uh, sense the patrolman, they seem to have better radars, and everybody is one step ahead of the other. Because somewhere he appears. If you can go at 90 miles an hour, he can go at 95 miles an hour because there are very special engines fitted on their cars. Swamiji, nobody has ever caught me. Good, we'll congratulate you. But you never know when you'll be caught. There's always an apprehension, someday I can be caught, you know. Even though there is an excitement of this, still inside there is some apprehension. Because we see now and then fellows being caught on the, on the, you know, the, while we are driving. They are stopped. And I can be one of those things also. And even if a policeman does not catch you, even if the, the world doesn't know what you are doing, I can, I can, we can be sure that whenever we violate the moral law, we are going to have to pay for it in terms of, as I said, if nothing else, at least a conflict within my mind, a sense of guilt, because a part of me knows that what I have done is not right, and that it is going to plant a sense of guilt. And therefore, the excitement of the, the gratification, the short-term gain, ultimately I have to pay for a pain that builds up in the long term. So coming to job satisfaction, which is also an important motive, meaning self-satisfaction. And self-satisfaction can be only when I act in keeping with the law. We are talking about the universal law. We are talking about the infinite wisdom. The infinite wisdom alone manifests as a law, you may say, an order which keeps everything in order, which keeps everything in harmony. And even in the human society there may appear to be disorder, which it does appear every so often, but it will even out in course of time, maybe in a few centuries or a few millennia it will, it will, it will uh, you know, work out. It has to work out because, uh, you know, the yin and yang, you know, someday this is prominent, someday other one is, it's a, we know these cycles. There is the talk of this yuga, satya yuga, treta yuga, dwapara yuga, kali yuga. Satya yuga where the brahmins are most predominant because that is where sattva is predominant. Treta yuga and kshatriya are predominant. That's the yuga of kings and emperors. Dwapar Yuga and Vaishya are predominant. We see this hap- happen in India. So there was a time which was a time of kings. All these Mauryas and Guptas and you know this. Then the Vaishyas came. The, the British came. East India Company. They came as Vaishyas, as a businessman. And slowly spread their net. And took over the whole country. Then Kali Yuga where Sudra the labor is predominant, you know, now perhaps. So this thing happens. 
Sometimes Brahmins are predominant, sometimes Kshatriyas are predominant, sometimes Vaishyas are predominant, sometimes the Sudras are predominant. They'll keep changing. Whenever something, whatever comes in power always takes its pound of flesh. And so whether you call it Sudras, you call it Dalita, you call whatever you call it, they will extract their pound of flesh by all kinds of reservations, you know, all what you call the reverse discrimination, it will happen. Whatever discrimination happened in the past, they didn't want that, but we have to pay for it, you know, some generation has to pay for it. Who knows we were not there at that time, who knows? We don't know. Ultimately it is even out, understand? That's why the concept of yuga, that this universe is always changing. But then Kali Yuga also is not permanent. Thank God. There also should give rise to Dvapari Yuga, Treta Yuga, Satya Yuga. Again the cycle has to happen. Perhaps humanity will, humanity will learn from its pain. The pain of constant conflict and battles and, you know, human being will learn from that. This is not worthwhile. Just as we learn, it's not worthwhile damaging the environment because we get damaged in the process and therefore, let us save the environment. At least, of course, to save the environment is a great luxury which many people in the world cannot afford and therefore we find that in the poorer or developing countries still there is a tremendous abuse of environment because they think they cannot afford yet. In any case, there's an awareness. So, human being will learn. And things will change. They will not change right away, but it has to change. The Vedas talk of the cycles, they talk of yugas. What is the length of yuga, it doesn't matter. But we can see these trends. But in any case, what we are saying is that as far as the universal law is concerned, as far as the universal harmony is concerned, it prevails. And therefore, whenever we violate that intentionally, then we will be violated, as Puja Swamiji says. When you violate the dharma, you get violated also. What is the tree? Margosa tree? What tree Swamiji talks about? Some tree talks about which is, I guess, a bark, which is very rough. So remove your shirt and rub your back against the bark of the tree. If you rub against that, you'll be rubbed also. So rub against dharma, you'll be rubbed also. So very simple principle. Satisfaction can come only when I follow dharma. When I follow the basic values of life, when there is righteousness in my life, when I follow the obtaining harmony, and dharma presupposes a life which is other-centered and not a self-centered life, because there cannot be dharma or righteousness in a life in life of self-centered person. Even when I speak truth and I am honest, there is always going to be some kind of a manipulation of things so that my interest is served. It is difficult 
to assure that my interest will be served and I can still be a, a, an honest or good person. Ultimately that self-centeredness will have to be let go for me to follow dharma or righteousness in the true sense. Do that and satisfaction comes right away. We need not wait for satisfaction after death. Every, any moment I display the spirit of other-centeredness, display the spirit of helping, display the spirit of letting go of my self-interest, my self-centeredness, and that very moment there is satisfaction. The salary will come after a month or two weeks or one, whatever it is, but then this satisfaction comes right away. It's what we call drastafala, immediate result. That is the reason why we can maintain Shraddha. See, as Puja Swamiji says, when Lord Krishna says, Shraddhavan Lapade Jnanam, one with Shraddha or the trust in this teaching, and in, you know, will gain the knowledge. Shraddha is, the two kinds of Shraddha or the faith, one is unverifiable faith, other is verifiable faith. Unverifiable as much as, there is certain things that you can never verify in your lifetime, such as heavens, which you can supposedly reach only after death and death. There is no way you can verify it now. Just because we did not verify it doesn't mean you have to dismiss it, but we cannot verify that. But what Vedanta teaches are the realities obtaining. That freedom is a reality about myself, happiness is a reality of myself. And Vedanta teaches a way of life as to how to make that a reality. As I said, every time we act in harmony with the obtaining law, right away there is a reward of self-satisfaction. <clears throat> That's the greatest incentive. Happiness or satisfaction is the incentive. And you can create an appearance of happiness by giving external incentives and, and trick the people in feeling that they are, you know, happy. Or you can help the person discover the real satisfaction that comes from harmony with one's own self. And once you discover this, hey, by, by being selfless, or to the extent that I can be selfless, to the extent that I can reach out, to the extent that I can share, to the extent that I can offer, to the extent that I can serve. To that extent, there is happiness, it's my experience. If this is so, then nobody else will further tell me, I'll do it myself. You will automatically do something that you enjoy. Like I tell one of our brahmacharis, when I was, I was teaching a course, we had number of brahmacharis, and the brahmacharis served the Swami, and I, those days I used to perform the puja every day. At the end of the puja, there will be a, a certain prasad, you know, offering nevedya to the Lord. And, and if this brahmachari would take and give it, distribute among to all the rest of the brahmachari. A little bit, you know, a little sugar crystal. Everybody gets something. When they get that they are very happy and they thank this fellow. Thank you. So he enjoyed that thing. He enjoyed. He discovered that this, this act of sharing or giving was so gratifying. 
So then every day he would do that. And I found that all my stock of Naivedya got exhausted because he, he, you know, he liked the distribution so much that he did not wait whether it was real prasad or not. Whatever was stocked, everything he distributed. You know? Because he discovered the joy of giving. I need not tell him to take it. He himself would do that. This we have to discover. We have to discover the joy of what they call parobhakara, joy of helping others, pleasing others. I don't mean pleasing for the sake of getting their approval and stuff like that. That, that again is selfish, not that kind of pleasing. <clears throat> that we are always trying to do, try to please everybody so that they'll be pleased with us. Not that way. But a genuine desire of reaching out, of helping. That is the order. The order obtaining the universe is of that kind. Parobhakaraya vahanti the rivers flow for serving others, not for themselves. Parobhakaraya vibhari surya the sun shines for serving others, not for itself. Parobhakaraya phalanti the trees bear fruits, not for themselves, for others. Thus, the spirit obtaining the whole universe is everything does what it does for the sake of others and not for its own sake. <clears throat> that is called order. That's the order prevailing. And therefore, if that spirit, or to the extent to which that spirit comes in our life, to that extent, we will be in harmony with the order. That order also happens to my own self and therefore the extent to which I am in harmony with the order, to that extent I am in harmony with myself. And when I am in harmony with myself, there is self-satisfaction, self-acceptance, self-worth, self-esteem. So people have problems with self-esteem. What should I do? Go out and do something for others. You feel good about yourself and you'll, you think, you'll think that you are worthy. <clears throat> answer to every problem of sadness, sorrow, any problem, answer is one. And that is, let us reach out, let us do something, let us help, let us serve, let us share whatever little we have. I, I don't mean money, I mean just whatever. Whatever God has given me in terms of some talent, capacity, ability, do that. This old woman was 85, 87 years old, could not do, I mean, you know, she could hardly walk. Seated whole day in one place. But what she would, she would make from the cotton, she would make small wicks, wicks, you know, the kind of thing that they use for the lamb. That's what she would keep on making. And then make packets in a plastic container. And then send to people who are doing puja every day. Give to your Swami, oh, he does this, give to this, give to that. He'll tell her daughter. That's it, that is her contribution. So this is what she could do and she did and happily. So even when she died at the age of 90, she could do these little things. If we have the desire to do, we'll find a way of doing it. <coughs> Therefore, in job satisfaction also, 
when I perform my job, not as a means of earning only wages, not as a means of what it will do for me, not only as a means of satisfying my ego, but as a means of satisfying a larger ego, then there will be a job satisfaction. You see the happiness that comes by watching somebody happy because of you. When you become instrumental in somebody's happiness, the joy that you see in their face is much more satisfying <coughs> than the happiness that you earn for yourself. And so when you cook good food and feed somebody, you see the Swami enjoying it, X, Y, Z, Swami, anybody for that matter. The satisfaction that you get is of a different nature. Then you're eating that food, you can also enjoy it, but still, all women know this. And so, Lord Krishna says, this is what the order in the universe is. And all values, whether it's non-violence, truthfulness, values that are taught to us, all of them require that we have to reach out. They're all dynamic values. That's what Gautam Buddha also said. That ahimsa or non-violence is not really not doing something. It is doing something positive. Not, not just not hurting somebody, but helping somebody. Because sometimes by not doing something also you are violating. And so every value ultimately will amount to helping, <coughs> sharing, offering, giving. Then alone in a true sense we can follow any value. If this is spirit that is adopted in doing whatever we are doing, our employees do that, suppose. If we can train them and make them see the benefit of this, and if they can adopt the spirit in their day-to-day -day work, the satisfaction will come, the motivation will be there. Meaning that this teaching is applicable in our day-to-day -day mundane life. There is no mundane life, there is just life. There is a Vedanta does not talk of worldly life, another this life. There is one life. And whatever life it is, must be a spiritual life only, because human being is a spiritual person. I am not a material person, I am not made of matter, I am made of spirit or consciousness. And therefore the life cannot be centered upon matter, has to be centered upon spirit, because then alone I will be true to myself. And the life that is centered on the spirit, or the nature of spirit, or values of spirit, will be spiritual life. <coughs> So spirit or self or consciousness, as I said, is all accommodating. Lord Krishna says, Samoham Sarabhuteshu Namedveshyo Sinapriyaha I abide equally in all the beings. Nobody, I mean, I, you know, I have no partiality for anybody. I do not hate anybody. I equally accommodate everybody, whatever that is. That's a big thing. We are not as big as that to be able to accommodate everything and everybody. 
But that is called Lord, or that is called the order which accommodates everything. Imagine how vast you have to be, how large-hearted you have to account everything. We cannot accommodate even the slight uh, discomfort. We cannot accommodate slight uh, slighting, slight slighting, you know. If somebody slights me a little bit, I cannot stand. I can stand so little. Whereas, how big is Lord? He accommodates everything. Whether the demons who are in fact fighting against him. The Hiranyakashipu says, I don't believe in God. I am God. Where is this God? Who is this Narayana? Who is this Hari? But the fact that Hiranyakashipu can talk only because of Hari only. He can think and walk and talk because of Hari. Who is his very self? Doesn't matter who he is, what he says, because nothing affects him. He has no identification. He has no complex. And therefore, the stuti and ninda, the praise and censure is all fine. Understand that not only God is like, we have to become like that. Even though, even if you do not become omniscient and omnipotent, this is not important. But we do become as good as him, that's for sure. So, when Lord Krishna unfolds his own nature and folds his goodness, you know, namam karma limpanti, name karma phales praha. Arjuna, the actions do not taint me, do not affect me. I have no longing for the results of the action. That shows his wholeness, his completeness. But then, if you also give up these attachment to actions, if you also give up the, the pride while performing our actions, then we can also slowly approach him. And he talks as our own self. When Lord Krishna says, I am like this, that means you are like that. And therefore, you have to act according to your own nature. <coughs> therefore, this is called process of self-growth. You can call it the spiritual life. And there is no worldly life. There are no compartments like spiritual life and worldly life. The, those are renunciates are living spiritual life and those are householders are living worldly life. Nobody can afford to live worldly life. Everybody has to live only spiritual life and everybody has to become a renunciate. At least in spirit. Then alone there is happiness. Happiness is only in renunciation and never in holding on to anything. Na karmana, na praja, na dhanena. It is not by karma, not by wealth, not by progeny, but it is by renunciation that they gain immortality. That is why renunciate is often brought in, in Bhagavad Gita, including the verse that we are reading here. Sasanyasi cha yogi cha. The first line of this verse describes who a karma yogi is. And second line, praises that karma yogi as a sannyasi and a yogi. Who is a sannyasi? Who is a renunciate? The fifth chapter described it very beautifully. Usually, our concept or understanding of a sannyasi is the one who has renounced all duties, all responsibilities and 
living living a particular kind of life is called renunciate. But Lord Krishna describes the sannyasi <coughs> not in terms of the way of life that he lives, not in terms of the clothes that he wears, whether shaven headed or otherwise, he has matted locks and beard or not, his orange robes or white or what. That's not the kind of description of sannyasi we find in Bhagavad Gita. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita is, is a text of universal application. How does the Lord, how does Lord Krishna describe a sannyasi? The fifth chapter, Lord Krishna says, Sarva karmani manasa sannyasyaste sukham vashi navadvare puredehi naivakurvan nakaryan. One who has given up or renounced all the actions by knowledge. By knowledge that the self is actionless. By knowing, recognizing that the self or I am actionless and therefore I do not perform any actions even when actions are being performed. Nevakinchit karomiti yukto manyeta tattvavit Lord Krishna says, the wise person knows that I do not do anything. I mean self, I do not do anything. Even when he's seeing, hearing, thinking, talking, walking, eating, doing all the day to day things that everybody does. Even while doing those things, he knows he does not do anything. Indriyani, Indriyasa, Shuvartande, Iridhariyana. Then who does, who performs all these actions? It is the sense organs which interact with sense objects, that is called action, and that all happens in my presence. It is true that nothing can happen without I, but at the same time, I does not participate in anything. <clears throat> nothing can happen without I or the consciousness. At the same time, the consciousness does not participate in anything. Because I or consciousness is involved, is, is present during every action, therefore it is taken for granted that I performs actions. Because I is present while every action is performed, therefore it is taken for granted that I performs actions. Lord Krishna says, no, action gets performed in the presence of I. This knowledge is called renunciation. Because Atma happens to be renunciate. If by renunciation we mean not performing any duties or not performing any actions, then that kind of renunciation is not possible at all. Because nobody can not perform any action. Even the greatest renunciate also has to perform some action. At least he has to eat his food. The biggest sannyasi. So when Shankaracharya said in India, he says, even the biggest sannyasi also, at least once a day, he has to pick up his kamandalo when he has to go out and bag his bhiksha or bag arms because hunger requires him to, to appease hunger. And therefore, he has to bag his food, he has to get his food and eat. That much action he has to perform. Even if people bring food for him, still he has to eat it. Even if they feed him, he has to at least masticate it. Something has to be done. 
So therefore, if they renunciate, or if, if renunciation is equated to not doing anything, that is not possible. It's not necessary also. So renunciation in the tr- in true sense is to know that, in fact, I or self does not do anything even when things are being done. <coughs> the Atma or the self is actionless. Therefore, Lord Krishna describes renunciation as abiding in the knowledge that I am actionless self, I am limitless self, I am immovable, imperishable, changeless self. I am limitless self, I am ananda or fullness I am. It is abiding in that knowledge is what is called sannyasa or renunciation in primary sense in the Bhagavad Gita. And therefore, according to Lord Krishna, who is a renunciate in a primary sense? One who abides in the knowledge of the self. He is a sannyasi. There is another kind of renunciation also, where one with will adopts the lifestyle which is conducive to gaining the knowledge of the self. As I said, the self by nature is renunciate because it doesn't perform any action. To become a real renunciate like that, what they call Vidvat Sanyasi or a sannyasa or renunciation by virtue of wisdom, not by virtue of a lifestyle or something, by virtue of wisdom. To attain that sannyasa, there is also a provision for a lifestyle called sannyasa. A lifestyle called renunciation. Wherein you become a sannyasi or renunciate by, by will, by a vidhi, by a ritualistic process, where the teacher gives you this sannyasa diksha or this, uh, this initiation as a sannyasa renunciate. <coughs> there, a person by will gives up all the duties and responsibilities. And along with that, he also gives up all the claims. Understand that the duties and responsibilities always are in keeping with the claim that you make. If you have a right, I must have it, then you have to participate by way of performing duty. So when he said that, a renunciate, gives up all duties and responsibilities, it also means that he gives up all claims and rights. He has no claim on anybody. He has no right. If things happen, that's fine. If they don't happen, well, that is by good, bad luck. He can present himself before the doors of a householder and announce, Narayana Hari, so in those days, sannyasi would go and, and present themselves at the, at the door 
and and say narayan hari so then the persons inside know that the sanyasi is here seeking bhiksha is up to them whether to give bhiksha or not and what to give this up to them he has no remand or he has no claim that because i am here that you are, you are required to oblige to do something nothing if the door is not open or if the person if the lady comes out and says i am sorry and he walks to another one not he goes to infinite number of houses goes to five houses at the most seven houses and if he has luck he gets his food doesn't have luck he may not get food It, what I, what you are saying is that a sannyasi or anansir is the one who has delivered himself in the hands of destiny. He does not exercise his free will. That also is called renunciation. Renunciation of exercising free will. Because you need to exercise free will to perform your duties and responsibilities and activities. He has given up his claims, his demands. his rights and also exercise of free will and he surrendered himself at the altar of destiny or surrendered himself to god so this is second level of renunciation which is adopted for the sake of pursuit of knowledge so that this person can become a renunciate by virtue of wisdom <coughs> So, renunciate by virtue of ritual or process, by will, is for the purpose of becoming renunciate by virtue of wisdom, which is the ultimate goal. So, why does a person become renunciate? Because that lifestyle is very conducive to the pursuit of knowledge. Because now. because he is free from all duties responsibilities everything therefore his mind is totally available for pursuit of knowledge for listening to scriptures from the teacher shravanam for mannam for reflecting deliberate upon what he has listened to swami ji i don't remember anything when i go home my husband asks me what did swami ji teach you today i can't recollect anything I'm enjoying while I'm in the class, but I can't. I said, "Okay, write notes, jot down some points." So if I write notes and I can't hear, I can't listen. Then write just brief notes. Write something. I wonder when people do not write any notes. I wonder what do you think they are? You think they remember everything or what? You know, I don't know. But if I were you, and I was attending a retreat like this. and listening to this classes like this i would be very greedy in as much as i would want to really uh, catch catch as much as i can because our mind is a very limited capacity of retention and when you go out and again get occupied with worldly activities everything will go and whatever this teaching has to contribute to our life See that contribution remains only when the teaching remains with us, not otherwise. Just because we attended some classes doesn't mean that 
I mean, it has some impression, but the impression may not be very deep. Three kinds of impressions are there. One is impression like writing in water. Even if you're writing, it disappears. Second is like writing in the sand. It will disappear when the wind comes. Third is like writing on the stone and it will not disappear. But until we become that kind, where whatever here gets impl- impressed, I mean imprisoned, Im- what shall I say, Im- Im- you know, it's imprinted. Until then, we have to do something. Anyway, so a, a life of renunciation is one where there are no other duties, no responsibilities, no other distraction, and therefore a person can totally devote himself or herself to just one thing doing whatever is required to pursue the knowledge and gain an abundance in knowledge. <clears throat> Therefore, the lifestyle is conducive for gaining knowledge and ultimately becoming a renunciate in primary sense, renunciate by virtue of wisdom. So, Lord Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita praises in many places the renunciate meaning a wise person. Sometimes it's called prajna, prajna, the man of abiding wisdom. Sometimes the karma yogi as in the fourth chapter also the person who also abides in knowledge and is active. Sometimes it's called a renunciate because he doesn't do anything. Sometimes it's called a yogi because he abides in his own self. Sometimes called bhakta, devotee, because he is totally devoted or surrendered to Ishvara. Sometimes he is called a gunatita, one who transcended all the gunas. In different ways, Lord Krishna describes and praises the sannyasa yodhanasit. <coughs> That's the main theme of Bhagavad Gita. And therefore, Lord Krishna says that ideally one should live a life such that our life becomes a process of ultimately becoming that sannyasi, becoming a perfected person, a renunciate by virtue of wisdom. <clears throat> that is when the goal of becoming happy, the goal of becoming free is achieved in a primary sense. And therefore, we have no choice. As we said, we cannot settle with unhappiness. We cannot settle with bondage. We must have happiness. We must have freedom. Because that is our inherent urge. And therefore, today or tomorrow, you have to become that renunciate by virtue of wisdom. <coughs> therefore, while a person is active, while a person, you know, is, has, is required to perform this duties, etc. How should the person conduct himself or herself in a manner that his life or performance of his duties becomes a process of ultimately becoming that sannyasi? That's called yoga, that's called karma yoga. <clears throat> and so, in the first line of this verse that we read, Lord Krishna describes the karma yogi, anashitaha, Karma phalam, karyam karma karodhya. The second line, this karma yogi is praised 
Sasanyasi cha yogi cha. That karma yogi is a sanyasi, is an unsaid. He is also a yogi. Na niragnihi, na chakriya hai. Not merely one who is a niragni or a kriya, not that they alone are sanyasa or yogi, this person also is. We'll again discuss the meaning of these words in the next class. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Madarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha